Katjana, let's talk about ADHD or ADD, right? Mm-hmm. There's a misconception that it causes or is just about hyperactivity. So can mm. you tell us more about it and the issues kids face if they have it? Mm. So it stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, ADHD. Uh, we used to have ADD, which was Attention Deficit Disorder, so minus the hyperactivity. Uh, but now they've merged it all into one label. So a child with ADHD can get three different types, so three different uh, categories of ADHD. One that is just focused predominantly on inattention, so poor focus. Uh, secondly, being a combo of hyperactive behavior and impulsive behavior, so more classic classic to what we used to call ADHD. And then finally, now a third version, which is a combination of all three, right? So a child who gets the label ADHD will now have to have those three subtypes just to make everyone's life difficult. Um, But but ADHD, uh, like you said, doesn't just refer to hyperactive behavior. It's a trifecta involving uh, difficulties with attention and focus. So these children will um, often do very poorly or quite poorly in an academic setting because they would find it difficult to keep up with what's going on in class. Uh, inattention can also affect memory because they're not paying attention long enough to understand the full scope of instructions. So kids will be quite forgetful, leave things all over the place because they're not focusing on the task at hand. Um, mm-hmm. They'll also tend to switch between activities quite frequently. They very rarely finish the things that they start. So that, of course, has impacts on their daily life. Um, the second criteria is hyperactive behavior. So these kids tend to be um, so hyperactive or so active that they can't really sit down and complete very much. So you would be seeing these kids struggle with even meal times. They'd want to be running around um, and kind of bouncing off the walls um, pretty, pretty quickly or pretty frequently. Um, And then finally is issues with impulse control or impulse control behavior. So these are kids who will um, often or almost always act before they think. So this could manifest in um, sort of behavior issues. So they get when they get triggered and they get angry, they would probably react before they think about whether that reaction is appropriate or acceptable. Um, these are kids who might also um, tend to be quite accident prone because they will do before they think about whether that's dangerous or not, dangerous or not. Um, so it's not just about whether these kids are running around. It does affect a lot of other different areas of functioning. And is... ADHD, something that is classed as sitting on the um, autism spectrum or, Mm. you know, um, where was it something that's separate? You don't Mm. have to be, you know. Yeah, it's a bit of both. Um, So with any type of psychopathology, uh, especially when it involves what we call developmental issues, um, and ADHD is considered what we call a neurodevelopmental issue or a neurodevelopmental disorder. Reason being is because it's not something that you can just suddenly develop in adulthood or at any point in your life. Neurodevelopmental means it is linked to how our brain is growing and how our brain develops. So a child would be presenting with ADHD symptoms from early childhood. Right. Right. So, um, you know, with anything in this category, they often don't occur in isolation. They hold hands with other types or they have comorbidities with other types of conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Children on the spectrum or the children on the autism spectrum do often have a comorbid diagnosis of ADHD. Um, It is a very common pairing. There are other pairings that also happen. So something like oppositional defiance disorder also happens a lot with ADHD. Uh, Sensory processing disorder also happens a lot with ADHD and is often misdiagnosed as ADHD. But it is 100% possible for ADHD to occur on its own. So that's where the diagnostic process kind of comes in and helping parents kind of sort through the different symptoms. 
Okay. And uh, is there any difference between how girls and boys present? Because I have been reading, um, you know, news and articles about the fact that, you know, girls do present differently. A hundred percent. So there is um, a lot of the statistics surrounding ADHD will tell you that it is more diagnosed in boys than girls. There's a lot of conditions in the DSM-5 uh, that says that it is more commonly seen in males versus females. But what we're learning, like you said, off late or in the last couple of decades is that it is possibly because the presentation of symptoms are very different based on gender. Um, and one of the biggest sort of factors to that is because girls are a lot better at what we call reading the room. So they're a lot better at kind of adjusting their behavior and their, and their, um, temperament to suit the vibe or the emotions that are in a room that's something that girls i guess a little bit more empathetic maybe if you, if you are they hiding way. it or are they masking it better masking it, yeah. masking it exactly so what they're doing is they're able to identify that those certain behaviors would not work in this particular setting and so they mask it by kind of hiding it and making it more palatable to the people around them something that boys just aren't able to do as well because boys so, couldn't be fussed with it is it Possibly, um, but it's also just uh, with regards to like emotional development and things like that. Right. So there's a lot of conversation about how um, ADHD specifically is um, presenting, you know, is, is not presenting in the same way with girls, which is why it's contributing to the elevated uh, diagnostic rate in boys, but also the fact that the DSM-5 or, or the guideline that we use is catered to boy behavior. So we don't right. yet, so the criteria that we use in questionnaires and stuff are catered based, are, are, are sort of drafted out based on the behaviors and symptoms that we see in boys. And so girls are being missed altogether. Right. So, you know, the last couple of years, um, you know, the, the, a lot of focus has been put towards coming up with a new diagnostic system that is more inclusive, that is able to pick up uh, more symptoms in girls than they do in boys. So you so mean the default setting for the test? It's not, yeah, it so doesn't say that it's actually for boys. Or false just, negative, brother. Right. Yes, yeah, so all of the questionnaires that we have with regards to any of the conditions uh, works on a scale. So they compare, say, a certain cohort of like, you know, thousands of kids, depending on how powerful the test is. Um, and then they uh, compare based on age, based on gender, um, how a child's behavior ranks to other children who receive a diagnosis of ADHD. So if all of the behaviors they're looking at is very boy related, you can see how girls would, would fall through the right, cracks. Right, right, okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that's been where a lot of the revision is being done with regards to the diagnosis process so that girls' behaviors can be picked up more easily. Okay, so there's a this idea, outdated, mm -hmm. um, I guess, uh, that diagnosis or a label you know, is a bad thing. Mm. Why is this not the case? And how does knowing your brain is wired differently mm. or, or the kid's brain is wired differently help mm. them um, when it comes to sort of their mental health and mm. having this problem or issue? You know, I think just in Asia, there's so much fear around diagnosing um, because they're afraid of the consequence of the label. Now, I think that that's a completely fair thing to say because not a lot of people understand what the label means. And so kids can get bullied or they can get misunderstood. And so I understand the fear. But the diagnostic process is integral and necessary for the purpose of intervention. So that's what I actually say to all of my clients. I assess or I diagnose for the purpose of intervention. Your label is irrelevant to me because no two children with ADHD, no two children with ASD will present the same way anyway. But it's about understanding how do we support your child. So it's kind of like saying, um, I've got a pain in my leg. 
right? But without going to the hospital or getting it diagnosed, I won't know whether I broke my leg or whether it's a muscle strain. Right. And that difference will impact how my, doc- my doctor treats me. Right or how um, what type of of support I can get. So mm. it's exactly the same thing. So if your child is struggling with a learning disability or a developmental disorder, and they're not getting the or, or you, you don't have a full understanding of what is going on with your child, you run the risk of not being able to support them adequately, and all of the impact or the effects that come from that. So I can understand where the fear comes from, but I really think that you know it is something that is worth the trouble, if you will. And does having sort of understanding that perhaps um, the brain is wired that way in your child help your child, uh, you know, as I say, on the mental health front, even scholastically, could you walk us through? Uh, It is, it is so important because going back to sort of the, the, the broken leg treatment analogy is that it tells you kind of what to focus on, right? So a child with ADHD, for example, will have difficulties with focus, will have difficulties with completing tasks that are more on a long-term scale rather than sort of minute by minute or hour by hour. Mm. And so if you're putting your child in a classroom, if they're in a government school with 40 other children, um, without identifying that this is an issue, he or she will struggle. They won't be able to meet the milestones academically or scholastically that you're expecting them to meet. Um, And the fact that they are trying their level best, which is something I hear so much from my clients with ADHD, they try so hard, but it never gets to the level that they need to. And that will start to impact upon their sense of self-worth. And that triggers the whole mental health thing. I personally feel in this, you know, I've been working in this industry for nine years now. So many of my clients who come to me with mood disorders, so things like depression and, and, and anxiety disorders are here because they had an undiagnosed learning issue like ADHD or dyslexia or dyscalculia that was not assessed and so they had to struggle throughout all of their lives with no support and no explanation and so they start to kind of invert it into themselves and say well clearly I'm stupid or clearly there's something wrong with me um and that can really erode on their mental health. So, you know, it's it's something that is really, really integral because we can give them the support that they need based on their specific challenges when they need it before it morphs into something else. So, Katjana, this is where I think JD and I wanted to sort of uh, step in today as adults. No, um, no. <laughs> do we have to? No. Yes, we do. Uh, step in as adults to sort of wade into this because um, we're all pro, you know, helping children any which way we can and to dispel some of the fears and myths we both kind of agreed to something you suggested Mm -hmm. um which was why don't we take the tests yes because we're quirky we're odd uh we're not necessarily uh jenny's whatever (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so you know we kind of agreed and so um to walk us through this uh Mm -hmm. and, and and sort of also kind of touch on the fact that you know um there is Uh, data that shows that it does run in families so if your children may present or you think your child has this issue odds are either you or your partner may have it as well is that Mm. true yes so ADHD does run in families Um, there isn't a a connection that says that if you have it then definitely your child is going to have it but their chances of developing it are a lot higher um there's lots of uh inquisition to gene studies and stuff now to see whether there's a way to determine ahead of time but generally nothing 
conclusive in that nature. Um, ADHD is also um, seen as a chemical imbalance within the brain. So they think that that's sort of a contributing factor. But yes, if you do have ADHD in your family, there is a possibility that it will pass down. So yeah. Question. So, Real <laughs> quick one. Do you grow out of ADHD? You don't grow out of it, but you acclimatize to it like anything, right? So kids who have ADHD, I mean, ADHD is not something that just suddenly appeared in the 21st century. I'm sure it existed long time ago. But the thing was that, you know, it wasn't something that we recognized. And so because of that, we kind of just adjusted. So kids who are who probably have issues with inattention, probably figured out a way to avoid tasks that took too much focus. Kids who are more hyperactive will probably not be committing to anything that requires for them to sit down for too long. We adjust and we acclimate, right? So the question I get asked by parents all the time is, what happens if we don't do anything? The answer is nothing. Your child will grow up to be a you know functional human being. But yeah. do we want to risk where the struggle will get them? Right. So it is the struggle that will impact your child. Right. And of course, having problems with, you know, academics, that's going to impact your child. But is your child going to be physically healthy and make it to, you know, a full grown adult? Yes, absolutely. But it's a matter of the impact on your mental health and your academics and your functionality that you have to question. So, yeah, we don't outgrow it. I think we just all learn how to live with it and we learn how to work around it. Yeah, because I mean... uh I mean, we've we've been joking about this for uh, every time we we have a session and we have a chit chat and everything, and then mm-hmm. we always throw in the thing, "Oh, I'm ADHD, whatever it is." But I, because when I was younger, I had a lot of trouble focusing in class and everything. But now, mm-hmm. I've been doing something for like twenty years. I, I mm-hmm. I've been doing something since I was six years old. I d- I don't realize that some things I'm very focused. Some things mm-hmm. I just couldn't. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. just think that maybe with age, uh, I. You're right. I adapted, maybe right. Yeah, or some- you just got job as a radio DJ, which didn't require <laughs> you to actually. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But but Ken is right. I mean, for some reason, maybe it happened way back in the in the caveman time. Ugh, mm-hmm. rock. Then after he got bored with the rock, and then ugh tree you know so i i really do feel if you look at ev- evolutionary psychology which is actually a thing where people studied kind of how the human brain and the human psyche has kind of grown and evolved throughout you know the human race i genuinely do believe that that was just how the male brain was wired right yeah. it was not a task you were not required to really think about all of these things you were hunter gatherers right and so the brain being the infinitely efficient based organ that it is was like, well, this is what I need to do. So why fuss with the rest? Whereas the right. females were the ones who were taking care of the children. They were more nurturing. They're more empathetic. They um, are the ones who would probably have to multitask more because they had to care for the child and the cave yeah. and the, and the cooking of the food. So I feel like there are certain things that just ev- from an evolutionary standpoint, women and men do differently. So. All right. Yeah. With that having said, uh, and without further ado, um, why don't we uh, hand it over to you, Kat, and let's uh, let's see what JD and his assessment right. did. So maybe you could you, walk us through what we did as an assessment, and then do you wanna do you wanna share screen so you can see it? Is that possible? Uh, no, <laughs> nah, not um, sure. On the video, so, how it's gonna work? Well, yeah, because for, for did you right? Mm. 
Uh, no worries. I'll just explain what we did then. Okay, okay. So the questionnaire that you guys filled up is called the Connors Adult ADHD Rating Scale, or the CARS for short. Um, it is a diagnostic tool or a tool that we use to assist in the diagnostic process that is um, designed to help pick up ADHD in individuals aged 18 and above. Now, remember that ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder, like I mentioned. So most of the kits or most of the assessments are conducted at sort of the early childhood range. So sort of in the ages of about four to five and six around there, that's where usually the assessments start. And so it is often a challenge whenever adults come forward going, I think I have ADHD. <laughs> so the cars is something that kind of assists with that. Now, straight off the bat, I have to say that this is not any of the results we see here is not going to confirm whether you guys have ADHD or not. The diagnostic process usually involves multiple other th factors that we calculate, which I will go through in this test as well, because the test actually explains it. Um, this is just trying to determine whether or not the answers you guys gave are similar to those who would receive a diagnosis, which would thereby indicate risk. So the chances of you getting um, a diagnosis for ADHD. Right. So first up, we'll go up with JD's assessment, which he completed in six and a half minutes. Is that well a done, good JD. thing? Wow, that's fast. It's fast. Six and a half minutes he finished it, but it was okay. So the 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 cars looks at a couple of different things. So it splits the um the focus into two. The first is they just look at symptoms. So we're just looking at behaviors um, and whether those behaviors are elevated for someone in your age, age and gender bracket. Right. The second half looks at actual diagnostics. So they compare that to the likelihood of an ADHD diagnosis given sort of the general kind of cohort. Of right, things. right. So JD, um, the, so the areas that they looked at just for information, um, the first area in terms of symptoms was attention and memory. The second was more sort of hyperactivity and restlessness. Third is what they call impulse control and emotional lability. So sort of your emotional regulation. Um, and then finally, problems with self-concept. So self-confidence, sort of your belief in oneself. Right. With regards to the diagnostic side, we had um, one which looked at the ADD. So the inattentive version. Second, that was the hyperactive impulsive version. Third is the, com uh, is the combo. And then finally, it's just kind of with regards to a diagnosis in general where you sit, right. where you sit with that. Okay. So Wow, there's a lot of different layers to yes, this. Yes, yes. So it's always, you know, so when people get their hands on tests like these, they often do them and they don't know how to interpret the, the output. So it's always good to kind of get a psychologist or right, a trained right. professional to go through it with you. So, okay. Looking at your results, JD, um, so a lot of the things were actually quite average. So I know that you were quite concerned. <laughs> yeah. Really? I, I know that you were quite concerned that you had ADHD because we've talked about it before. Yeah. Now, some of your scores were um, what we call moderately atypical, which means that it was above the average. But a majority of your scores were kind of just slightly elevated or borderline. So if we go through kind of just the, the conclusion of the whole thing, it actually says that you would not meet criteria. Really? Yes. Wow. So according to the diagnostic side, it actually says uh, it is unlikely that the respondent, Mr. Jason Desmond, um, would not qualify um, for... Uh, would Sorry, that is unlikely that he would qualify for a diagnosis of ADHD given wow. the scores that you had given. Exactly. So, I mean, it actually, the report actually goes further to explain why. So, they say that in order to meet the criteria, you would need to answer um, 
sort of yes, very much so, which I think was one of the scales, very much so very frequently on at least five of the questions in each of the categories. And you didn't do that. So I think the one that you scored the highest for was with regards to, um, uh, I'm just scrolling through. I think it was the hyperactive impulsive one um, where you scored one out of the nine questions that was actually rated. Really? Yeah. So you gave a very strong answer with regards to that on only one of the nine. Um, and then with regards to inattention, you didn't score that for any of them. Right. So, so my attention is pretty uh, okay. So your attention is, you know, not uh, great. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not great, <laughs> yeah. but it's not to the point where we would be considering you sort of you know, meeting the criteria. So it breaks it down and it says that, you know, there are, if I could just kind of look up again. So the ones that you got sort of what we call moderately atypical, so it indicates a significant problem, um, is your hyperactivity and restlessness. And also... That was it. That was the Wait, only one. Restlessness that, was very that means high. I always have to be doing something, right? Yes. So the yeah. description is that difficulties in this area involve problems with working at the same task for long periods of time, feeling more restless than others seem to be, and has a tendency to fidget. And it's interesting because you find that like really super smart people are like that. If it's really boring road work, they just want to get it done. And if it's mm-hmm. delayed, they get impatient. And mm-hmm. that's so you, JD. I is mean, that why I do it. so many things at the same time? Possibly. Right. But it's like, you know, so you have a couple of things that are ma- that are uh, slightly atypical, so borderline. It's a concern, but not something you should be kind of like freaking out about. Um, and that was with regards to your uh, impulse control and emotional ability. Uh, problems with self-concept, so self-confidence. Um, and, really? Uh, yeah, that was a little elevated. So nothing to be too concerned about, but it was considered borderline should raise some slight Self-confidence. Concern. I think I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> only, only somebody with... Yeah. I'm the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and yeah, and then that you were you were um, mildly atypical as well um, with regards to the inattentive side for the diagnostic. I'm very uh, surprised. Right. I so thought- was I. <laughs> wow. I'm 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 a little bit gobsmacked here. Yeah. Oh. So and and the thing about the questionnaire as well was that it actually had a separate bit called the inconsistency index, which determined whether or not it is likely that you were lying about your answers. Okay. So um, how they calculated this was that they looked for consistency with regards to what you were selecting. Um, so high scores in the inconsistency index would indicate whether or not the participant was responding haphazardly, may have been unmotivated, right. and or may have been trying to distort the results. Um, and yours did not rank that so it was probably valid everything that you stated so what what else could be the reason for his like restlessness and all that (laughs) maybe you're just super smart and like you're just bored that's definitely not it could be it could be it could be it It really is and that's the thing like a lot of people who are uh, intellectually gifted are are kind of called slow learners or have issues with laziness so that could be it right the other thing you could also explore is you know we've been talking about sensory stuff i think it we could assess whether uh, JD has some sensory issues. Oh, let's do that next. So that could also explain whether or not he's having difficulty with fidgeting and stuff because his brain is struggling with the sensory stimuli that you're getting. Well, Asha would say I'm struggling with non-sensory 
stuff. <laughs> I, I tell you what, the guy can sit like a rock and a stone. Like he can sit there as we do interviews for so yeah. long, just yeah. as a stone. He just settles. And I'm the one, like even here now, I'm just like, I just need Moving to get around. it out, you know? <laughs> yeah. The phone has never had a, this much. Uh, the phone wire hasn't been fidgeted for so long already. Like, that's all I'm saying, man. Interesting. Well, okay. How do you, how do you feel about that, JD? I don't know. I'm I'm surprised. I I mm. I always thought I had some level of uh, elevated HD uh, ADHD mm. in me, right? Because everybody always said Jay is always very hyperactive and this mm. and that cannot focus. That's why I I didn't do well in school when I was younger, mm. right? Mm. But then as I got older, it got better. But I don't know. But you see, but that's the thing, right? Is that a lot of this is based on how you are at this age, right? If we were to say. Interview your mom and kind of assess you at a childhood age. We might get a different score, right? But this also indicates that even though you are hyperactive, or even though your inattention is not great, and the test does say that it's elevated, mm. it is not enough to give you the label or give you the diagnosis. And that is something that a lot of people also get confused: is that they think it's actually really easy. To be diagnosed with something, and that's what keeps them away from the process. I've had patients say to me, "Oh, I don't want to go see a psychologist or get an assessment done because confirm you guys will find something." Right. That's not exactly true. Right. It's actually really hard to meet criteria. As you can see here, right? <laughs> wow. As you can see here. Oh. So yeah. So there's a couple of you know bits as well that go into the test that look in terms of um, look at uh, intervention strategies if you do meet it. So that's why the diagnostic process is really helpful because it helps people like myself and. It helps teachers kind of know what we can do next. So, with regards to your test, um, AD, uh, JD, they're saying that um, your scores were elevated with regards to again your hyperactivity and restlessness, um, and also kind of some parts of your, what we call the ADHD index or how you behave similarly to other people in the ADHD sort of scale mm. or realm of things. But that being said, in order to confirm whether or not the theory that you have ADHD is valid, there are a bunch of other things that you would need to evaluate. For starters, we would need to evaluate a history of the pregnancy, delivery, and developmental milestones of you from infancy. We'd have to look at a family history of psychiatric disorders. We would have to assess whether, and this is all done usually by inter, by you know various interviews. Uh, we'd have to look at specific symptoms, including onset, severity, frequency, blah 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 blah. We'd have to assess um, your functional sort of you know, behavior with regards to your school history, your employment history, your work records. Um, you'd have to get an overview of the um, individuals, what we call intrapsychic process, which looks at self-image and sense of self-efficacy with your family and friends and work and so on and so forth. We'd have to look at how you interact with your family structure. Um, and then we'd also need to look at whether there were any medical issues which could contribute to why you're more restless. So whether there are issues with your thyroid or anything like that. So, As you can see, it's a very, very comprehensive process. Yeah, yeah. So a questionnaire wouldn't be enough. So you can't just walk in and say, "I think I have ADHD." Someone looks at you and says, "Yeah." Yes, it, it, it's not like that. It's very no, complex. no, no. Yeah. I mean, you know, it is very rare that people kind of do this. You know, get as much details as this because, especially if we're dealing with an adult, they might not have access to this information when they were young if their parents are no longer around and things mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm. So we might not get everything, um, but at least it's important to be able to get as much background as possible. So I would probably need to do it over multiple sessions. I'd probably go visit. You at work, or kind of see you in a different setting, and just kind of see whether there are certain information that we can get as well. 
Interesting. All right. Wow. Yes. All right. Now I'm done. Not something you can just diagnose off the no, internet either. No. Yes. yes. If you find something, especially if it's free, you cannot believe any of those. So this <laughs> okay. te- this comes from my professional sort of like library of kits, guys. That's amazing. Thanks, Kat. So, okay, that was good. No like problem. That. So cool. moving on to Asha. Okay. So <laughs> Asha completed the test in eight minutes. So not much longer than JD. Whoa, oh, I, I thought I it thought, was so much longer. Oh, I thought it was like a 15 minute time thing. So I was freaking out. I'm like, just asking, <laughs> right? Seven minutes and 55 seconds was the final timing. Wow. Now, okay. Asha, your scores were a little bit more on the elevated side. Um, you were what we call markedly atypical or significant problems in most of your areas. Um, <laughs> so with regards to sort of the, <laughs> the symptom side, um, you had uh, atypical or, or raised scores with regards to inattention and memory, with regards to uh, impulse control and emotional lability. Um, and that's that was on the two symptom sides. And then on the diagnostic side, you were you got a atypical score for the inattentive type of ADHD. You got it for, um, uh, hang on, I'm just reading really quickly. Actually, you got them for all of them, but slightly different. Like some were higher than others. Right. So you got more more extreme scores. And again, remember, this is based on your self-report. So if I got this from a client, this wouldn't be enough for me. Like I would need mm-hmm, to kind of get mm. comparisons. Um, so the reason why your scores were so high was because they tracked how often you answered the extreme yes. And you did that for a lot of your questions. Mm. So that's why your scores were, were elevated. So looking at this in terms of if we jump straight to the diagnostic side. <laughs> why not? <laughs> why not? Um, so for inattention. Um, you Wait, hold did- on, hold on. Uh, Asha, pay attention. You lost <laughs> I'm, I'm trying and I'm like fidgeting under the table. <laughs> She's speaking. Okay. So for inattention, um, you needed to be able to, you needed to score um, sort of high scores on five or more of the symptoms. And you did that. You scored five out of the nine as very much, very frequently. And then one out of the nine for pretty much often. So that's a total of six questions out of the nine that you scored quite high on, which is why they said your inattentive scores were flagged. Um, with regards to hyperactive impulsive you again needed to be able to score a five um, and you scored a five so that was why that was also flagged and then finally with regards to the combined type um, they said that it is possible however your hyperactive scores um, were lower than your inattentive scores obviously Um, and so that's why the combined type they said can be considered but when we compare the two, your inattentive one was higher than your hyperactive. Mm. So it wasn't like equally as high. Um, so yeah, so it's saying that based on the results that we have in this questionnaire alone, it would be likely that you would meet a criteria just based on these results. Um, it breaks it down to say that inattention and memory and impulsivity and emotional lability were the highest uh, symptom issues. And then the ADHD skill was also rated. So yeah, so your scores were higher. Okay. Are you surprised, Ash? Well, it, it's it's strange because you know having um, having to had deal with 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 my son and mm. all of those issues. It was actually a book that made me start to wonder whether mm. or not all of the issues and struggles that I'd felt over the years was possibly to do with this. And it was a book by Gabo Mate, mm. um, and that sort of got me on that I I I, I wonder mm. um so this now kind of actually I, I kind of feel a sense of relief but at the same time I feel like 
um, crying as well as laughing. Mm. Um, so I guess what what would be the next step then for someone who gets something more elevated, more, more elevated? I mean, mm. how how more elevated? Like if there was a way to gauge, like, would you say, Ash, really, I think it would help you to actually come and get uh, more stuff done? Well, looking at your, so they even have a graph here for people who are more visual like myself. The words kind of blur for me, so I might have ADHD. Uh, but anyway, your the graph here kind of indicates that when it comes to your focus and memory, that's the one that's pretty high. Um, so that would be something that I would probably recommend you get a little bit of kind of assistance on just to kind of make your life a lot easier, really. Um, the fact that you've managed to reach adulthood and it's something that hasn't impacted <laughs> you significantly goes to show that even though it's elevated, you found a way to function with it, right? How, so, how does it imply that I'm learning to function when actually <laughs> every single day, nobody actually knows what goes on behind the scenes or how often I disappoint people because hey man, I just don't 50. think about calling them. Yeah, But that's the thing, like you've already come up with coping strategies for things that you know you find difficult to do. So you're already kind of like, you know, you've, you're working around it. And if it was something that was affecting your ability to function, you wouldn't, right? You wouldn't even be able to hold a job really, right? That's true. So, um, so yeah, so I think that <laughs> looking, looking, at your, looking at your scores, uh, definitely with regards to like the inattentive memory side, you could probably get a little bit of assistance on whether you want to get a professional you know so first things first get the diagnosis confirmed right you may not want to given the fact that you know you've made it to 49 you probably don't need to but if you want to I would say get it confirmed right take it to a psychiatrist or take it to a, a psychologist um who could kind of vet these results. They might have additional tests they want you to do. They might send you for blood tests. They might do you all of that stuff um, just to get a more comprehensive picture of where you sit. And then with regards to that, of course, there are, um, I'm a big fan of more sort of behavioral interventions. So teaching you kind of how to structure your life, sort of life skills with regards to maximizing all of these <laughs> things, right? Um, oh. But of course, worst case scenario, there are certain people who go down the medicinal route, right? You know, but that's less, kind of um, for people in your situation where it's more inattention that's usually something that affects people with the more hyperactive side where they take medication to help with the hyperactivity um, so yeah so if it's something that people are interested in you could take these results and then go and get it uh, confirmed by a medical professional or a psychiatrist um, and then go from there I think that's exactly what I'm going to do be responsible <laughs> go do that because you know when you hit menopausal age mm. and your already foggy memory is mm. taxed now with that let me just tell you as an adult woman it's hard so yep. I can't imagine being you know I struggled hard enough at school mm -hmm. that you know I tell you honestly if there's help out there which obviously there is uh, it's, it's well worth going so I'm going to do that thanks so much <laughs> Katiana you're welcome <laughs> so I guess it goes back to sort of me asking the question, having done this, it was a painless test to take. Mm -hmm. um, it actually feels like the relief is a little bit there. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you process it later. Um, mm -hmm. I'm interviewing here, you here right now um, <laughs> with JD. But let's talk about why people or parents especially are afraid to have their kids tested. Mm. If we could just, yeah. I think that a big part of it comes from the implications of it, right? I mean, you saw the ADHD assessment is a predominantly non-invasive assessment. Um, it involves a lot of observation, interviewing, questionnaires. 
like I said, you might have to get sent for a blood test, right? Because if you want to look for biological contributors to, to the condition, but ultimately it's not something that is going to put you in any you know, physical pain. Um, so I think that it's more just that it's it's the impact of that and the fear of the label. I think a lot of parents are afraid of what being labeled as ADHD is going to do for their child's future. Um, whether ki- they're going to get bullied in school, whether teachers are going to ostracize them. Like, there's a lot of concern and fear there. And that mm. stops parents from doing that. Some set of parents also feel that if they find out that their child has a difficulty or a challenge in some way that it's their fault um i've had some parents you know get really emotional thinking that it's because they you know fed their child too much sugar or they didn't eat healthy when they were pregnant there were all of these things where parents tend to blame themselves when Mm. ultimately it isn't because of that Um, so that's a big deterrent i find so basically in essence to any parent out there um it looks very much like I have ADHD. <laughs> um, I'm glad and I'm going to continue going to look for this. And it's not my too mother, late to, to get help. Yeah, it's not too, it's late, never to get too help, late to get help. No. Right? Yeah. right? My mom was an amazing mom. My dad, mm. an amazing dad. Mm. Both of them uh, I do not blame and, mm. and would not feel upset because of this diagnosis. In fact, I'm sure they'd be relieved. Like, finally, we know what her, her shtick is. <laughs> Finally, we understand why she just has these outbursts yeah. um, and loses her mind. Anyway, so um, just speaking from an adult perspective going through this, uh, mm. yeah, it's never too late. <laughs> but, you know, like I always say, even if you get these results, I wouldn't be too pegged down because it is coming from your perspective. So when you identify, if you feel like JD said to himself, he always felt there was something wrong. When you see a statement, you all, you are going to mark yes on that because it's something that you identify with so it is in a way it is a biased account by you right so that's why whenever i get assessments like these i always tell them not to worry we'll just keep looking into it i will interview as many people as i need to in order to get a global picture of how you are and we'll have you know your work your friends your family everybody kind of uh you know giving us a little bit of an idea because it could very well be that you're probably thinking that you're worse off than you are Right. And that's why your scores are elevated. But it is a step in one direction. At least we kind of know where to go from here. And I love the fact that there are so many different strategies out there that um, people can use. Kids can take on board Mm -hmm. um, that help them kind of manage doing things the way they need to in order for them to progress. So, yes. And I think one thing one thing I really want to be able to mention as well is the fact that, you know, a lot of parents feel that it's something that we can't do, like you can't support kids. But ADHD is one of the conditions that the Malaysian Ministry of Health actually recognizes. And so you don't even need to be in a private or international school to get support for ADHD. You can get it now in a government school because ADHD and dyslexia are things that the Kementerian Pendidikan actually acknowledges. And your child can get support in terms of extra time for assessments and exams, um, you know, doing uh, their tests in a quarantine setting if need be getting additional help from teachers all of this stuff is already in place in a government setting so if the fear is that i don't have money to send my child to a private school so it's better that i don't know it doesn't apply anymore so regardless of where your child is attending you can get the support now here in malaysia